So if you have your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, please turn in them to the book of Matthew. To the book of Matthew, please. We're going to kind of make a little bit of a shift. The, the Lord kind of took me in a little bit of a different direction for tonight. And I want for us to, to look at a different gospel writer's account of the Passover meal. Matthew, uh, I think, uh, kind of hones in a little bit on the direction that we've been looking. And so I want for us to, to kind of linger to linger here. You know, as we, as we looked on Sunday, and as we will see tonight, the scenes of Jesus' last days, and we're drawn to this Passover meal. This is often called the Last Supper. It may even have that title listed in some of your Bibles. Some, it may see, say communion, or, or some versions say the Lord's Table. These are all names that are given to the Passover meal. Now, for Jesus and his men, this was something that they had done year after year after year. And in fact, it was something that every Jew would have been familiar with. You know, Passover was a time when Israel would come together to celebrate their, their freedom from slavery. The Passover occurred for the very first time in the book of Exodus after the Israelites had been in bondage to Egypt for nearly 400 plus years. And the Passover came. These years where they were in bondage were painful. They were depressing. They were heartbreaking and left many of God's people wondering if there was any hope. Have you ever found yourself there? God, is there, any, is there any hope in my situation? Is there any hope for me? Is there any hope in my sinful past, anybody? The Israelites felt like they had no hope that God had abandoned them. But then God sends this man by the name of Moses, and he confronts Pharaoh. And he warns Pharaoh and he tells Pharaoh that you must let God's people go. But Pharaoh was having nothing of it. And to make life even more miserable, God begins to send plagues because Pharaoh would not let the Israelites go. And at the very end, God sends one final plague. He sends the death angel. And that death angel was to come and kill the firstborn of all people and all animals. Now God demanded a payment for sin. So the Israelites were told that they were to slaughter a lamb and they were to take the blood and they were to mark the doorposts. So when the death angel would come, he would see the blood, the payment, the sacrifice for sin, and he would pass over them. And this is where our Passover came from. And so the Israelites, each and every year, take a time out to remember the Passover. The day when the death angel passed by their home because of the sacrificial lamb and the blood that was spilt. You know, as a result of the Israelites obeying God, the children of Israel made their exodus from Egypt and they were given freedom from slavery. God brought them out. God gave them a new beginning. And each year, they eat a meal that consists of wine and bread and bitter herbs and a sacrificial lamb. That meal is special. It is precious as they reflect and they remember 
the mercy of God and the deliverance out of Egypt. Now I want us to see as the Passover begins to be instituted here by Jesus himself. Look with me in verse number 17. Matthew 26, 17. It says, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will, will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand and I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. And when it, when it was evening, he reclined um, at the table with the twelve and as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? Is it I? And he answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man that by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born and Judas, verse 25, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. And now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the, un or for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day. Guys, that day, that's the day when he returns for the marriage supper of the Lamb to meet with the bride of Christ, his church. He's not going to drink again until that day. Let's look at the rest of that. And when, when I drink it new... With you in my Father's kingdom. And then look at verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And that's our text. This is God's word for us this evening. Let's pray. God, we come to you. We come to you on a night. Lord, as we, as we begin to remember Good Friday and what it stands for. The sober night as we begin to reflect upon the cross that the torture instrument that was used for your sacrifice for our sins and lord i'm asking now as we as we begin to walk through this that you would begin pressing upon our hearts our need for remembering constantly our need for remembering and speaking the gospel to ourselves day in and day out, Lord, as we know that we need you. God, I pray that we would lay aside all things that we've been trying to fill ourselves with that are not of you, the things that have left us empty. Lord, that we would see in this place a, a fresh and a new way of living according to your word by your power within us because of how you sacrificed your life for us. And I ask and pray these things now in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen and amen. You know, there was something different about this Passover. Instead of a lamb being on the table, the lamb of God was sitting with them at the table. 
I wonder how the disciples would have felt if they truly understand what was about to happen to Christ. Jesus instituted a brand new covenant here in this moment in scripture that was the Passover. The meal would now hold new meaning and should hold new meaning to us as believers. The cup would represent the the shed blood of Christ. And we're going to talk more about this later. And the bread was the body. The body that Christ was about to give. The lamb Christ was about to be slain. Not just for the Jewish people, but for all people. For all people. Jew and Gentile alike. The disciples had no idea the implications nor the magnitude of what Jesus had just said or what was about to come. And this was evidence that we looked at on Sunday by the way that they responded to the crisis in the Garden of Gethsemane when they had fallen asleep. But Christ went to the cross as a sacrificial lamb and his cruel death and his suffering is what atones and it pays for our sin. You may be sitting out here and saying, what sin? Your sin? My my sin? The sins of the whole world. I love what Paul said when he said that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He was telling us there was not a single righteous individual, not one righteous person. That means that I and you are no better than the next person that sins. Just because they sin differently than I doesn't mean they don't need Christ. Doesn't mean they don't need grace and mercy. Just because it looks differently, there is no one who is better. But church, I I need us to see a few things tonight. Until, I want you to please write this down. Until we understand sin, we will always struggle with the cross of Christ. We will always struggle with the cross of Christ until we understand sin. If we understand anything, anything at all, it's that all people have sinned. I do not need to try and spend time proving that all people are sinners. Deep in the heart of every single man and in the mind of every woman and child, we know that we are sinners. Why? Because our conscience speaks to this in every form and facet. Sin is not just something that we do, but rather we are. We sin because we are sinners. It's exactly what the Word of God tells us. And sin is the failure to hit God's mark. The failure to hit God's mark. Sin is to step across the line of God's standard. It's to break God's law. It is a lack of self-control. Sin makes us in debt to God. In debt. The writer of Hebrews said this. The verse is going to hit the screen. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? As sinners, our conscience reminds us that we are wrong, that we are guilty, and that something is not right within us. We can try and silence our conscience. Have you ever done that before? Where you know the Holy Spirit just pricked you in the moment and you're like, shh, I don't want to hear that. That's not me. Right? What about the, what about the time when, when you see the sinfulness in other people and you're easily recognizing it because it's the same sin that's in you? 
And you think to yourself, I'm not as bad as that person. I would have never done that. Anybody? Just all one of us? Just me raising my hand up here on stage? You know, the Bible calls the one who, what I call stiff arms the Holy Spirit, the one who has a seared conscience. The one who no longer responds to the Holy Spirit's work inside of you. Church has a very dangerous place to find yourself in. And so that if that's you, and if you've been pushing the Holy Spirit away, if you've been pushing him out of your life, stop. Stop pushing the Holy Spirit. Why? God wants you to grow and change in him. And the Holy Spirit is used for that purpose, to, to convict the Holy Spirit is used to remind you of truth and to guide you in that, Lord, so that, that we can change in this place. Church, the, the seared conscience is the one who becomes calloused. The one who becomes calloused. I want us to look, if you would, just jump over to the next chapter, chapter 27. I want us to see the seared conscience. I want us to see the calloused man. Look at verse number three. And then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. Man, and and throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. Hanged himself. The response of Judas, the response of the elders, the response of, of the chief priests, it baffles me, to be quite honest with you. They, they, they were seeing in this moment the conscience of Judas who was grieving. It was weighing him down with guilt. The other guys, they were defiled. They were calloused. Not a thing within them. Did you see their response? You see to it then. Judas is like, I've done wrong. And the chief priests, the ones who were supposed to be leading the people closer to God, said, I've washed my hands. I don't want anything to do with it. Callous, church, callous. Paul wrote to Titus, and he said, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Nothing. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. He was talking about the very thing that he saw in the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests and the elders and all of those in the Sanhedrin. It was that mind that was defiled. But church, church, we're all sinful people. We're all sinful people. We're all born this way and we need to be saved. And that's where the problem comes in. That most people know that they're sinners for the most part. You may even get people to admit that they've sinned or that they've done something wrong. But what they don't want to hear is that they need to be saved. And that's crazy to me. That's crazy in my mind as I try to, to think about it. I've heard people say, I, I don't need to change. Don't judge me. I've heard it over and over and over. I might be a sinner, but I'm not that bad. 
God's not going to condemn me to hell because there are worse people than I am. God won't send me to hell for a few sins here and there. I don't, I don't need the cross to get to heaven. I don't need the cross for my sin. I think Paul summed it up well when he said the preaching of the cross to them that are perishing is foolishness. But those who are saved, what did he say the preaching of the cross was? Power unto God. Power unto God. I wonder, I wonder how often we are spiritually blind to the fact that how awful our sin truly is. I wonder how we can, we can sit and not think to ourselves, I need someone to rescue and save me. It baffles me that people can't understand the sin separates. Sin separates us from God. It happened initially in the garden. The sin that separated. And to those who don't know Christ, uh, the preaching of the cross makes no sense. It's absurd. It's foolish. But to those of us who are saved, we understand it. We get it. We've experienced the life-changing power of God. And we know what it means to have a clean conscience. But it's only made possible through that cross. It's only made possible through the cross where God's wrath was poured out upon his son. And so the second thing I need us to understand this evening is that the cross of Christ is where God poured out that wrath. You know, I hear, I hear often in speaking about um, hell and, and heaven and, and salvation with people, you know, the number one thing that people say about their salvation is that I was saved from hell. Or I was saved so I wouldn't have to go to hell. Now, a lot of times people forget the fact that we were saved from the wrath of God and from hell. The, the Bible is very clear that the wrath of God is for the wicked. And it will be poured out upon those who reject the salvation of God. And in this place, please don't walk away. For those of you who are here, who have been in church any length of time, who say, uh, I know that I know that I know that God has saved me and that I'm going to be in heaven, don't walk away and forget to rejoice at the fact that the wrath of God will not be poured out on you. Man, we just finished up our series on the book of Revelation, and every single time I think about the wrath of God, it makes me weep for those who have rejected. It makes me weep for those who, who, who will not come to know Christ because they think they know the way. Church, if you're a believer in this place, the wrath of God should cause you to weep for those who are on their way to the hands of Satan. It should drive you to your knees, seeking the face of the only one who can save. Use me. Here I am, Lord, send me. Use me in this place. You know, I, I love... I love the, the response of Isaiah 
in Isaiah chapter 6, when he encounters the Lord, he falls on his face and says, Woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live in the midst of people who are unclean. But but Isaiah gets up from that moment, that experience with Jesus Christ, which many see as salvation moment, the moment that he encountered God. And what did he do? He got up and he said, God, just use me. I'm right here. Send me. Use my mouth to tell people about salvation. Church, church. We're here on Good Friday, on the day that we recognize as Christ dying on the cross for the sins of all people, we should be driven to share the gospel with people because of this day. We should be driven to seek those in our circles of influence who don't have hope and say, listen, I have hope and I want to share it with you. What did Peter say? Be ready always to give an answer of the hope that is inside of you. Be ready always always you know if God were not just then there would be no demand for his son to suffer for our sin and if God were not loving there would be no willingness for his son to suffer and to die but if God is both just and loving then his demand of Jesus on the cross was met when his son died when he said it is finished His demand of justice came. God does not sweep our sins under the carpet and he does not excuse the things that we have done wrong, but he must deal with sin and he did throw through his only begotten son, church. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Paul didn't stop there. He went on to say that being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. But he didn't stop. He said God has set forth to be a propitiation through or a payment, a replacement of through faith in his blood to declare the righteousness for the remission of sins that are the past through the forbearance of God. Jesus took his wrath. Church, Jesus took his wrath. He was the substitute for you and I. He took your place. He took mine. Jesus went to the cross and he removed the wrath of God that was meant for every single one of us. does not mean, though, that God's judgment is not still in effect, that it's no longer directed to those of us who have accepted him. His judgment will still come for those who have rejected. We will never, church, we will never stand in awe of being loved by God until we reckon with the seriousness of our sin. Until we reckon with the justice of his wrath against us. You know, God's greatest act of love and mercy was to allow his only begotten son to die on the cross so that we might be reconciled back to him. So the cross is where God's wrath is poured out But the third thing I want us to see is that the cross of Christ makes salvation possible. It makes salvation possible. 
Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. You know, in that day and age, the handwriting of ordinances was a legal indictment against somebody. The record of wrongs against each individual. And that would convict you, and this is exactly what Christ did in your place. He took your sins and he nailed them to his cross. And in Roman law, a guilty ordinance would hang on the cross and then he himself was placed there as nails were driven into his hands and feet for us. God looks at you and I. Those who who accept the free gift of salvation he looks at us and he doesn't see our sin anymore. He sees the payment for that sin. He passes over you. He declares you righteous. Do you remember the death angel? He passed over the homes where the blood had been spilt and and put across the door frames. The blood of Jesus is is over those who who have accepted the gift of salvation. It's over you. And because of that, because we've been justified, as Paul says, been justified through through Christ we get to live peaceably with God peaceably I wonder I wonder how how often we think about the children of Israel I wonder how often the, the believer thinks back to that first passover I wonder how often when churches do communion, if the reflection is all the way back to that. Man, it started in this way. God saving a a massive group of people through spilt blood. I wonder how often in our daily lives we reflect back upon the cross Is it just Passion Week? Is it just Easter and Good Friday? That we remember the spilt blood of Jesus Christ on our behalf? I grew up in a church that was super ritualistic. Super legalistic. A church that in a lot of ways did a detriment to my life. But I, I remember something from my childhood that I will never, ever, ever forget. Every time communion was, was done, every time we partook together, there was a reflection 
one that was instilled in us throughout the year, one that caused us to remember. I remember as a young child sitting and learning about the Passover. I remember having conversations with my mom. Ones that reflect the grace and mercy that's been shown in my life. But at the same time, the constant reminder of my need for Christ. In just a moment, we, like the children of Israel, will remember not so much the, the deliverance from slavery, but our deliverance from sin and self. What, what Christ did on the cross, God's perfect lamb crucified for us. Christ gave his body and shed his blood. And because of that, he was able to free us from, from bondage. The bondage of sin in our lives. The, 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 the life that he gave was new and it reconciled us back to the Father. I want us to read for just a moment. You do not have to turn there if you do not want to. But I'm going to flip over to the book of 1 Corinthians. I want to read to you what Paul said. And he said, for I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But then there was a warning. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So let every man examine himself. That word man encapsulates every person. So ladies, don't be sitting in here and being like, it says man. Let every man or every person would be a better translation. Let every person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. I want to stop right there. We're going to partake in communion here in just a moment. But we're told in scripture that we are to examine ourselves. That word examine there means to prove. It means to literally qualify one's self. To qualify. Someone who examines himself is qualifying himself to eat at the table of the Lord. It happens first by ensuring that we all are actually saved. That we are actually saved. A part of God's family. That we have repented and we've asked God to forgive the sins within us. That we are in a right relationship with him. Only those who are saved can partake. 
I didn't read the part after this, but Paul talks about what happens to those who drink in an unworthy manner. Some of them died. This is a family supper for those who have a personal relationship with our Heavenly Father. We're not only to examine the salvation, but we're to examine our sanctification. Our sanctification. The the setting apart for holy use. It means that we are coming to the table clean. We're coming washed and ready. This is not some religious ritual that we do. As we're not perfect, but we can and we should come prepared so we can partake. Prepared. We're making sure that there is nothing in us that is not right before God or others. We're having a a clean conscience. And before I invite you in just a moment to come to the front and and grab a a communion cup here, there are two focal points for this evening as, as we reflect. There are two symbols that we're going to look at. And these symbols have no saving power in and of themselves. The first is the bread. And it symbolizes the body of Christ. The text says that Christ's body was broken for us. But what it means is that just as bread gives life to the physical body, Christ gave his body for us so that we might have life spiritually. The Bible describes Christ as the bread of life in John chapter 6 when he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. When we gather and we take the bread of the Lord's table and we break it and we pass it amongst ourselves, we're reminding ourselves that Jesus is our life. But we're saying that he is the one by whom we live. I believe that that Paul said it best in Galatians chapter 2 when he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I but Christ who lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh, what do I do but live by faith in the Son of God? Paul is saying that the bread symbolizes that Jesus is to be our power. That when we obey the commands of God and the word of God to love one another, to forgive one another, to be tender and merciful and kind and courteous to one another and to not return evil for evil but to pray for those who persecute us and mistrust us and misuse us that his life enables us to be what God's word asks us to be it means that we live by the means of Christ and then we have the cup and the cup symbolizes the blood The blood, which he said is the blood of the new covenant. The new arrangement for living that God has made. In which the old life has ended and the new life has come. You know, the the old life is the one when we're dependent upon ourselves and we lived for ourselves and we wanted only to be the center of attention and and it's over and that's what the new cup means. That's what the blood means that when we take that cup, we're publicly proclaiming that we agree with that sentence of death upon our old lives. And as, as, as Christians, we will continually experience life that comes out of death 
because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And it's the bread that gives the new life. And it's the blood which that new life flows through the body. And as we come to the table, we remember that Christ gave his life so that we might have new life. That we might live in the new life. And so in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come to the front. I'm going to ask you to be in an attitude of prayer. Paul says to let every man examine himself. A song is going to be sung over you, and then we are going to dive in and eat this meal together. So I'm going to ask you, please do not eat alone. This is a family meal. We eat together in unison. We eat together just like the disciples. They ate together with Jesus. And so if you would, uh, come, uh, come at this time and please return to your seats uh, for a few moments of reflection. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turned his face away. As wounds which mother chosen one. Bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders, ashamed to hear my mocking voice, called out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I won't boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an but this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. Why should I gain from his reward? 
as we reflect upon this moment in Scripture and in this moment today, tonight, today, as we see the cross, the cross of Christ. We looked at the crisis on Sunday. Tonight we see the cross, and Sunday we see the risen Christ, the risen King. Today, we know from Scripture that a prayer of thanksgiving was, was given over each part of the Lord's Supper, both the bread and the cup. And so if you would, um, at this time, please bow your heads and close your eyes. God, we come to you in this place, Lord, and we cannot even express to you with words how grateful we are for the, the body that was broken We can't even fathom what you had to go through. There are no words that accurately describe the pain and agony that you endured. The beating, the carrying your cross, the spilling of your blood, and yet you gave so freely. You responded to the will of God on our behalf. And your body was broken for us. Lord, we, we thank you for the cross. Because without it, there is no way to life. God, use, use these times cause us to reflect and remember often. Holy Spirit, please, please I beg of you to keep the cross a constant reminder to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's eat. And next, a prayer was given over the cup, a symbol of the blood. So if you would bow your heads with me, Lord, we know that your blood was spilt, the precious blood, the agony that you endured, Lord, so that we could live peaceably with the Father. Willingly gone to the cross The blood the blood is, is the saving saving grace for us. Your son was the was the perfect lamb for us. He sacrificed his himself. Lord, bring us to remembrance for, for the sacrifice that you've given. 
do that, Lord, when we walk away from this room tonight. And that one week from now, two weeks from now, a month from now, we wouldn't have forgotten. God, I pray that we would remember to continue to press towards the mark that is you. The high calling that is found in you. And the only way that we can do that, God, is through your blood. The shed blood. You were worthy to die in our place. Worthy is the lamb. God, we, we can't even thank you enough. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. He said this do in remembrance of me. We know from Matthew that when they finished the Passover, they sang a 